Let's take our Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin there in verse number 19. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible or if you don't have one, we should have some on the pew there. And uh, if you don't have one, that's our gift to you. You can take that. Um, as you're turning there, um, we are in the midst of a series going through the book of Philippians verse by verse on Sunday mornings. Uh, two weeks ago, or the first message, we looked at unbreakable friendships and we looked at the idea, the first aspect of Philippians, that a friendship is only as secure, it's only as grounded as what it's based upon, right? We looked at the subject of if I have a friend and my relationship with that person is based on anything other than the gospel, the friendship, if it's only built on mutual interest, will eventually fade. The second aspect that we looked at last week was the idea of I am second. Remember the Apostle Paul there in verse number 12 through verse number 18, especially in verse 12, he says, what has really happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. For the Apostle Paul, the main idea, the thrust of his life was so that the Gospel would be advanced. He didn't have to be on the cover of Time. He didn't have to be inside as a poster boy in GQ magazine. He didn't have to be a contributing author anywhere. Paul wanted the Gospel to be advanced. And today, we're going to move on to a deeper subject. And it is a subject of living and dying. That's encouraging, isn't it? Right? Say, man, we're just going to talk about some living and some dying in church today. And as we're going to build that thought, I wanted to tell you a story as we started off. Um, For about six years, my family lived in Florida, and I was there off and on because I was in college. And one of my friends asked me, and my brother Josh, he says, I need you guys to come help me do some moving. Now... Jerry's just done some moving. How many of you have ever had that sinking feeling when someone asks you, I've got some moving to do, could you help me out? And you're thinking they've got a piano and they've got the world's biggest gun safe, I'm going to wrench my back out. I mean, you don't have to have a show of hands, but you know what I'm talking about, right? On Saturday, they're like, right, we're moving on Saturday, can you come and help? And you feel obligated, so maybe you go. Well, my friend actually needed help simply moving one piece of equipment to his house. And that was an upright piano. Can I get a witness? Now, I thought it was fine because he's an engineer. He's worked as an engineer at Harris in Palm Bay, Florida, which they do all sorts of stuff for the government and make gadgets and things that go boom. Really intelligent guy. And and we went to pick up this piano because his wife had taken lessons and she found this piano. It was mutual friends who were giving the piano away. So, so we went with William to pick up the piano to bring home the prize to his wife. Some of y'all know where this may be going. I don't know if you've ever had a similar experience. But we go and we put it on the trailer, the flatbed trailer, and, and, and he brings one toe strap. Right off, I'm doubting this engineering. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this may not be the best way to do it. So we've got the piano. It's upright, just like this. Like, if we're driving the truck, it's it's, it's upright right behind us. And it's just one toe strap that goes over the top. And and I was just a college student. I'm dumb, don't know anything. But I said, you know, do we have any more toe straps? He's like, we don't need it. 
I said, well, yeah, I'm just, you know, it's, it's not my piano, it's your marriage, and, but it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I just thought it may be better if we could try to, you know, tie it down a little bit more. And he said, no, it's good. So, so we take off, alright, we take off, and we're there on the corner of, uh, Babcock Street and Palm Bay Road. And he takes off, when the light turns green, and takes a left onto Palm Bay Road. Now something you have to know about Palm Bay Road is Palm Bay is a big place and it's Palm Bay Road. Alright, you tracking with me? Busy, and it's about 4.30 in the afternoon, rush hour traffic. And as he takes that turn and he hits the gas on that Astro minivan, what a great contribution to the world, right? You're an Astro minivan, you're like, you're not Astro, right? And he takes that turn, and I just happen to glance behind me. And if you've ever been in a similar situation, it's when the world kind of slows down. You know, it just kind of slows down. And I look and I see as we turn the Astro minivan, the, the force of gravity kind of caused the piano to go the other way. It's called weight shifting. And then I looked and all I could say was, the piano. <laughs> and he turns and he looks back and we see this epic edifice of a beautiful musical structure tip over off of the flatbed trailer, and when it hits the road, I mean, it is just like a any budget plan that is presented in the Senate. I mean, it just goes to pieces, alright? So those of you who enjoy political humor, that is your, that's, that's free today. And it hit the road, and it just broke into all sorts of pieces, so we pull off the road, and then we're trying to, trying to pick it up, and then he, he lost it. Okay, and one thing, let's just be honest, this is all an acknowledgement of our depravity. That's why y'all watch reality television. There's something within us that almost makes us feel good about seeing somebody else lose it. Be like, well, somebody's not in control because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Okay, that's a different topic for a different time. So he's he just grabs his stuff and throwing it in there. And then there's this big guy who gets out of his car and he comes over. And the backing for these things is incredibly heavy. If you've ever tried to examine the insides of a piano. I mean, and Josh, we, we couldn't lift it. So this guy came and he, and he helped us lifted in the trailer and then William's just just going crazy over here so the only thing that was left was the upright of the piano that's it and it still had most of the keys there so everybody stopped everybody's waiting for the light to turn some people are looking and some are like oh some people are laughing I didn't want to get in William's way so I started to play the only song I knew on the piano with by ear which is for Elise Okay, and there are people sort of honking like rock on, you know. We're just trying to stay out of his way, and we finally got all of it in the flatbed trailer, and we pulled up to his house, and his wife she came out waiting to see what her conquering husband brought home from the spoils of war. And she, it was one of these moments that is kind of hard to replicate, even if you did it in a movie and had a really, really good actress. She comes out, she has this, 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 this expectant look on her face, and she looks at him, looks at the trailer, her expression changes, then looks back at him, and all of a sudden storm clouds begin to gather. <laughs> If you've ever seen that in a marriage, storm clouds begin to gather, and then she just kind of has this disgruntled, disgusted look, and she turns. Yeah, by the way, guys, 
there's a way that a woman can turn around and leave the situation. There's a way that a woman can turn around and leave the situation. Okay? It was the latter. And she turned around and she went back and slammed the door. And then we were just there with William. And so I could tell you that, that he got counseling, but I think it, he's actually a Baptist preacher today, so you know something happened there. So, what, but, but when I think about that, what we found out afterwards is it was an older piano, and the base of it wasn't very strong, so that whenever it encountered any type of movement or weight shifting, the bottom collapsed. And on a more serious note, when we read what we're about to read from the Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 19 of Philippians 1... You were talking about a man who has had everything taken away from him except for his relationship with Jesus Christ. And then when we take a step back and examine our world, how many of us have known of friends who maybe have who have lost a relationship, who have gone through a difficulty, who have lost a job, who have been slandered, who maybe have lost an election, or who have gone through some type of difficult thing, and everything in their life crashes and burns because their life is based upon circumstantial happiness. When Paul says in verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain, what he is saying, this this is the driving thought of this message, is that every bit of living that I can do, some way and somehow it is connected to making Jesus Christ known and loving Him. I want you to ask yourself the question, if you could fill in your life with this blank, for me to live is sports, Football just started up. For me to live is my career. For me to live is my family. For me to live is my recreation. For me to live, if there's anything in that blank other than Jesus Christ, there's going to probably be a valley that you and I come to. And if Jesus is not foremost and forefront in everything, that we love Him total above it all, there's, we're going to be like that piano to where with the bottom, if it's weak, the whole structure collapses. And what I hope that we can understand, all of us, to see in a new light, is that Jesus Christ is the point of life and death. You see, Jeff, how can we sum it up when we understand living and dying? Here it is. Everything that we do in our life, while we are alive, we do for Jesus Christ. Even down to chores, kids. It says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. The jobs that we work, we do the best that we can so that people would see God's glory in that. I want to give you a few resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. If you've ever had any life goals, check out a few of these. He says, this is number six, I have resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Amen? As long as God gives us breath, let's live. Number seven, I've resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Number nine, resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and the common circumstances which attend death. Now, we don't do that today. Check out number ten. Resolved when I feel pain to think of the pains of martyrdom and of hell. And it goes on and on. The way that we view life and the way that we view death are going to affect ultimately how we live life. The point of our life is to glorify God and in that we gain joy. Go to verse number 19 with me. 
The Apostle Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, check this out, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now right off the bat, he's speaking of living and dying. And I mentioned this to our Wednesday night group. As I was preparing to teach on this today, the Lord brought to me the subject of of suicide. And I want to just lay it out there. The Apostle Paul is not suicidal. What he's saying is that if the Lord gives me strength to live, I'm going to live with everything that I have for His glory. And if He takes me home, then that's going to be a gain because I'm with Jesus, you see. Some people say, well, was Jesus suicidal? Did Jesus kill Himself? No, Jesus voluntarily gave up His life. Then the question today is suicide the unpardonable sin. I get that in conversations fairly regularly. The answer is no. The Bible says the only sin that cannot be forgiven is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees knew that it was the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus healing people. But instead, because they didn't want to let go of their religious power, they attributed that to the power of Satan. So suicide is not the unpardonable sin. It is not what God would desire. But I just want to put it out there. This may be awkward on a Sunday morning. But if any of you, or if you know of someone who is having thoughts of harming themselves, please let me know. Alright? My number is in the bulletin. Shoot me a text. Give me a call. And I've heard this from pastors who have said... You know what? There's one pastor in Georgia uh, that I talked to and he said there's a man in my church. He was a godly deacon. He was involved in almost every aspect of the church. And then I got the call that he had driven his truck out into a field and he had taken his life. And that still bothers my friend today. I love you. Rocky Mount Baptist Church loves you. Jesus loves you. We don't want this to be unnecessarily awkward, but we know... If the statistics hold true, that there are many people who contemplate self-harm on many levels, but they never let anyone know about it because they don't want to be branded as such and such. We love you. Please talk to us. All right, let's let's uh, go ahead and move on. If you have your outline, this is in the outline. We're speaking of. Life and death. I want, there are several personal resolutions I believe that the Lord would have us to make when we think of life and death. Number one is in 19 and 20, verses 19 and 20, is that I will have confidence that God will deliver me. Notice what Paul says. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, what is the this? The this is Him being in prison will turn out for my deliverance. 
Now, when he says turn out, this is an interesting word. And if you're taking notes, let me give you a couple other places where it's used. One would be John chapter 21 and verse 9. The Bible says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. So it was used of getting off of a boat. It's also used the same way in Luke chapter 5, verse 2. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. The Apostle Paul is saying that I am on a journey. And as we've said many times, this is not our home. It's good to save, it's good to work, but if we put all of our life into simply this life, we're going to miss out on what is to come. You think about a boat ride, if you've ever been on a boat ride before. I, um, when I was 10 through 18, grew up in Louisiana, and there was another guy named Jeff. He was a really cool guy, he had a cool name. And uh, he brought me duck hunting. Now, I love to go duck hunting. We would go in the marsh. We would go in the swamp. And he had something called a mud boat that was able to get to a lot of places that a boat with a regular outboard motor would not be able to go. And as we were going through these areas in the swamp, I remember as a 16 and 17-year-old kid thinking, if something happens to Jeff, I am going to be high and dry or or low and wet. Like, I'm going to be in big trouble. But you know what Jeff always did? He always got us out. You know why? Jeff knew the swamp. He knew where he was taking us. He knew how to get out. And often, when we come to difficult situations in our life, we need to remember that this, whatever this is, will turn out for our deliverance. The Lord is in control, and He's the one who's able to bring us where we need to go. Now, often when we come into suffering, and we are faced with it, sometimes we look at it like this. We say, God... You're God. I'm not. I'm not supposed to question you. You're in control. This is in some way or form from you, so I'm just going to grin and bear it. I'm just going to just going to get through it. But maybe deep down we're thinking thoughts like, you know what? I go to church. I attend Bible study. I don't kick my neighbor's cat, even though I may be tempted to. I, I don't cheat on my tax forms. As much as my neighbor. I, I don't do this. And all and it's very easy when we think about suffering and we have this mentality to be bitter at God for allowing suffering in our life. Because in the background, if we were to turn around, we would see the prodigal son. Do you remember the prodigal son? His younger brother went off and lived a party lifestyle. His young, the younger brother, right, of the father came to repentance, he comes back, the father receives him with open arms, and then the self-righteous older brother is standing in the background with arms crossed with religious pride, and he goes to the father and says, how can we treat the younger brother with such dignity when he has disowned our family? I have always been done what is right. I have all, I have, I have. So I want to caution you. Whenever we enter into that dark night of the soul, whenever we enter into that difficulty, never let it come into our mind to where we say, God, I have served you, so therefore I deserve a suffering-free life. Which actually, if we really are serious about Jesus, guess what the truth is? We're probably going to have a tougher life. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Right? I mean, yeah, he's like, good, I'm going to have a tough life, baby. I'm going to have more problems. Just pile it on. But here's the key. 
If we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, and we get saved for real, and we plug in to follow Him 100%, we may stumble, we may fall, but we never let our eyes slip from Him. We're pursuing Him, and it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. There can be some times that you'll maybe be alone on a Friday night instead of out with everybody else. But when the time comes to where you and I are on our deathbed, if we make it to that point, we'll be able to look back on our life and say, Jesus, I wasted many years, but I'm glad you found me when I was 19, when I was 40, when I was 50, when I was 15, or when I was 5, when I used to steal the gum from the other kids in Sunday school class. I'm glad that you found me when you found me, because today I'm ready to enter into your presence instead of, if you go read um, a lot of these, these past atheists, Their last words, it's absolutely terrifying. It's terrifying. Imagine living your life never giving God a thought, taking the easy way out, living on the wide path that Jesus says leads to destruction, avoiding all of what Paul is experiencing. And then you realize that the payday someday has come and you're about to enter to meet your Maker. There's some shocking, shocking statements. The skeptic Voltaire, who said that in a hundred years of my life, the Bible will be an extinct book, on his deathbed, was screaming out, Oh God, save me, Jesus Christ. Screaming out in terror. Then you take the last words of men of God. Jonathan Edwards Trust in God, you shall have nothing to fear. What a legacy to leave to your kids. What a legacy to leave to your family and your grandkids if, if you are mentally aware enough to tell them, you know what, trust in God and you shall have nothing to fear. As opposed to have lived your life gaining the whole world, but then when you come to the point to where all of the chips are cashed in, you realize that you've lost your very own soul. And the Apostle Paul says, look look at verse number 19 again with me. He says, I know that through your prayers and through the power of the Holy Spirit that this will turn out for my deliverance. Now the question is, what is the deliverance? Does it mean that Paul gets a jailbreak? Does it mean that he goes home to be with Jesus? Does it mean that the deliverance is his strength to stand before Nero and not back down from Jesus Christ? Most scholars think it's all of the above to some degree. Because Paul says, notice over in verse number 20, he says, whether by life or by death. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was... Have you ever seen that show Locked Up Abroad? Anybody ever here seen that? All right. Seven people. Okay, so this is going to go over really well. It's a show about going overseas and you get in trouble with the law and you're locked up. Just imagine if you were locked up in some communist country and, and, well, we're not going to get into the politics of it. Your government didn't get you out because you were some type of political dissident or because you were there preaching the gospel. And you were there and you knew that the guy in charge wanted to kill you. I mean, would we pray, Lord Jesus... This is going to turn out for my deliverance either way. So by my life or by my death, let your name be glorified. You know what most of us would be doing? We'd be praying. God, send the seals. 
the statement that we read last week from Philip Yancey, he says, in my experience, when I go to less affluent nations and I talk with believers, they say, Lord, when they're experiencing temptation and trials, persecution, they say, Lord, would you give me the strength to endure this temptation? He says, believers, almost always from developed countries, that's you and I, they will pray, Lord, would you deliver me out of this temptation? And often, one of the greatest things that God can do is to give us strength to endure the difficulty so that people who have similar difficulties will see how we handle it as opposed to them. And then they will say, there may be something to Christianity because you didn't handle it the way that the rest of us do. But did Paul say, when I am weak, I am made strong. And notice, go back to verse number 19 again. He says there's two ways that God uses to deliver them. Number one, the passionate prayers of other believers. This word prayer is not your regular word prayer in the Greek New Testament. It has to do with an urgent request to meet a need. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Psalm chapter 34, beginning in verse 15. The Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near. I love this. This is so great. Write it down. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That means if you have been broken, if your spirit has been crushed, then the Lord is near you. So don't lash out and say, God, how if you were good and you were powerful, could you allow this to happen? Reach out and say, God, I need you to intervene in my situation. So the prayers of believers, but not only that, the power of the spirit. Now, my version translates this help. But it's actually, you could translate this word, the supply of the Holy Spirit. That's good. Y'all know where we're going with this? If you get supplied by someone who has infinite resources, you have no need to ever lack again. That means that no matter how difficult it is for Paul or for you, that means that the Holy Spirit offers supply. He offers strength. He offers wisdom. He offers patience. He offers everything that we need to get through it. For, for example, let's imagine we come across some bad guys show up to Franklin County. Right here in Rocky Mount, they set up shops, start doing a lot of damage with some heavy firepower. Our police force responds. There's a lot of bad guys. Some of y'all are like, well, just, just holler in the hills. There'll be armed, you know, people coming out from every, and imagine if our police force is not able to handle them, they call the state police. And if the state police is not able to handle them, they call the National Guard. The National Guard can't do it, they call the army to come do it. If the army can't do it, they call the special forces, the rangers and the seals and the green beret. If they can't do it, they call Chuck Norris. And if he can't, you see what I'm saying? You have access you have access all the way up the chain. What the Bible is telling us right here is that in the deepest, darkest of prisons to where you are continually chained between two soldiers, two pagan soldiers, 
there is the supply of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, let me give you this cross-reference in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God will supply you with what you need. Now, there's a common saying in the South, and it's this. God will never give you more than you can handle. Now, there's a little bit of truth to that, but if we as New Testament Christians take a step back, there's a lot of falsehood to that as well. If God never gives us more than we can handle, then who gets the glory? Well, I can handle it, you see. But also, how much can we really handle? And if it is up to how much we can handle, then who is the burden of proof upon to do the handling? It's not on God. It's on you and me. The point of the New Testament is that God places us in impossible situations that we could not survive in or stay sane in outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. Just imagine for a minute that we weren't told things growing up and we were seeing Christians being thrown to the lions in the first century. I don't know if any of them would say, Lord, I could handle the beatings, I could handle the torture. I can handle the lions as well. In my own strength, bring it on. It's not going to happen. When you and I are faced with death, what we truly believe comes out. And if we could go over to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, we would see that it is God who wills and works in us. That means that the strength that we have to resist death, to resist falling away from Christ, comes from Him anyway. So that means that if you're a soldier, if you're a police officer, if you're a... If you're a mom, hello, and you're confronted with difficult situations, I think that the grace of God is that a lot of our moms didn't kill us growing up, right? Like, you know, I've heard people say, well, I got whipped sometimes when I didn't deserve it. Well, y'all know where this is going too, right? That's probably for all those times that you got away with it and you did deserve it. The Holy Spirit supply is able to give us the strength to endure what we could never do. That's why... The Bible says in Philippians 4.13, For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If Christ does not give me strength, there are not all things that I can do or endure. But if Christ is giving me strength, then there is nothing impossible for God. When Paul says right here that it is his Eager expectation in verse 20. You know what the picture is? The picture in the original language is of someone who is expectantly with their neck leaned out looking what is coming in the future. You ever seen kids on Christmas morning? I remember how I was and the parents always wanted to sleep in but they were not able to because the kids want to get up and open the gifts. And how you just so excited... I think sometimes when we get older, we get a little less excited about things. Anybody in here, can you identify with that? Here's Paul. 
He's not a spring chicken anymore, but he's saying that my neck is leaned forward, straining to see what God is going to do. He says, it's my expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed. He's saying, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Now, you know what happens to some of us when we hit bumps in the road and when we hit a dead end? We sometimes doubt that God can do anything. But the proper perspective is Paul says, you know what? The only reason why Nero is in charge is because God is allowing him to be there. And even through crazy Nero, the Holy Spirit can still work and work in this Roman Empire. So I can't wait. God's got a crazy man in charge of the whole known world. I can't wait to see what he's going to do. And I think that it would help some of us, amen, that we would look forward to what God's going to do, even though the present situation doesn't look good at all. And we don't want to end up like the Kent State. Did y'all see that Kent State football player that ran 58 yards the wrong way this past week? I felt so sorry for the man. I felt so incredibly sorry. He took off. The, the ball hit the receiving team and it bounced off the shoulder. He should have run it in. But what happened is he ran it the direction that the other team was going to run it anyway. So they loved him. And then one of his own players got him, pushed him out of bounds. And then you could see the moment when they said something to the effect of, dude... You just went the wrong way. He did one of these things and he was just so ashamed. The Apostle Paul is saying, don't run the wrong way. Have your neck strained toward looking what God is going to do. And I just want to make a little point here. I believe that God is going to do amazing things in Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I believe that God has great plans for us in the future. I believe that in the future, the Lord will continue to help us see people that we can pour into. People that we can go across the oceans to share the gospel to. People here in Franklin County. And God will be glorified in us. Amen? It's not about getting more people to make ourselves feel better. It's not saying we've had this many saved or this many joined. It's about people and we love each and every one. And it is because of Jesus that we can do ministry at all. This is not my church. It's His. Can I get an amen for that? It's not our church. And I heard a great statement from Ed Stetzer. He says, you cannot control something and it grow at the same time. You cannot control something and it grow at the same time. My prayer for us and for myself is just to say, God, this is your church. We'll be faithful to your word and you use us how you would. There in verse number 21, he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You know, sometimes the things that we live for change, don't they? Sure, when most of us were little kids, we lived for the latest G.I. Joe or toy or doll or kid's cartoon or a day to go to King's Dominion or Six Flags. And that was what got us so excited. As I was going studying this passage of Scripture, I thought about this. You know, there's some people and they, they really want to be famous. And if you're like me and you have a sense of humor that's not entirely sanctified, you enjoy watching things like the worst of American Idol. Just people who want to be famous and they bomb. And it is absolutely entertaining in the most depraved sense of the word. But you just And it's awesome to watch. There's some people who have the need to be thought of as someone. There are people who have... They, they say, well, I, I need to be secure in my life. So the, the girl will go try to find a guy who makes her secure. 
A guy will say, well, I need to, I, I want to go find a beautiful woman so she'll kind of be my trophy. So I can kind of walk her around and say, this is how successful I am. There's some people who say, you know what, I grew up very poor. Security for me comes from money. I want influence. That's what I want in my life. I want to be able to influence people, to call shots and to take names and to get things done. But did you know that all of those things that so often distract us, but please catch this, those things are shadows of who Jesus really is. For example, Jesus' fame will never cease. Jesus is the most famous person in the history of the world talking about a Jewish carpenter in the first century who lived in this backwoods place called Palestine and he has split history into BCE or CE or AD or BC. It is Jesus who has followers all over the world. It is Jesus who has people who have lived and who have died because they believe that he who he was who he said he was. And we think about power. Jesus holds all power. Jesus holds us in the palm of his hand. We think about security. We know that Jesus is in control. You think about people who want friends and want relationships. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's some people who say, Jeff, I have baggage in my life. I need to focus on getting rid of that baggage. Focus on Jesus and he'll take your baggage away. There's some people who say, well, Jeff, I've been through difficult times and I have issues with forgiveness. Go to Jesus who was on the cross and said, Father, forgive Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He is the source of forgiveness. He's the source of fame, the source of all true wealth. And so let us not be distracted to put something in the line to say, for me to live is this. Let us say with the Apostle Paul that no matter what my occupation is, for me to live is to make Jesus known. There's a missionary organization many years ago, and they had a logo. And the logo was an ox that was standing between a plow on one side and an altar on the other. And the inscription read, ready for either. It means as long as God gives us the breath of life to live, we're going to do as much as we can to show our children and our families and our grandchildren that Jesus is of ultimate worth to plow, to work. And if that day comes to where we lay our lives over on the altar of sacrifice, if the time comes in the U.S. to where it's a crime to be a follower of Jesus because you're a hater, you're a person who promotes hate speech, May it be that we would willingly lay down our lives for Jesus Christ and that a lost world would see our sacrifice and how we counted our lives nothing compared to Jesus Christ and they would be born again. But for most of us, it doesn't happen that way, does it? For most of us, we'll probably die the way that most people die. Maybe there's a car wreck here. Maybe there's a natural death here. Maybe there's a sickness or an illness that we pray doesn't. We pray that we all live to to an old age if that brings glory to Christ. But when that day comes, we say, Lord, for me to live has been to serve you. And for me, the process of dying, the result is that, check this out, we are with everything that we've sent before. Our treasure, our time, our energy, our passion. But we're with the one who we truly love and who truly loves us.